Hey everybody, welcome back to The Smattering. It's Jason Hall. I'm joined by my good friend, the voice of the people, Jeff Santoro. Happy Braves win the division um, day. I'm going to move on Jeff. from that comment. Oh, we're not supposed to talk about baseball. I don't want to be, sal- episode, I don't want to be salty right. for okay. the entire Moving episode. On. So we can just move right on. Fair. <laughs> I don't know. I Let's Jeff. Let's be honest. If there's an, an episode to be salty about, yeah, it's yep. this one, right? I mean, the, the, our episode today, we're going to be talking about what's going on with the market. We talked. We we kind of planned this late last week that we thought this would be a good time to do it. And Friday, the market hit a bottom. We won't know for a while if it's the bottom, but it hit a bottom, right? The S and P was down. From the high, it was down 25% at the market close. I believe that was Thursday. Yeah, Thursday actually, and Friday were right? both was it Thursday? really crappy days. And then we saw just an epic rally um, the, the past yeah. couple well, of days. Well, Monday and Tuesday of this no. week. So we, we, were just, we were just going over it. We should timestamp yeah. this. It's October, it's October 5th. We're recording we this were on October We were just talking 5th. before we hit record that you know the market right now is down about 1.4%. Over the last five days, it's up a little, 0.5%, but that's after just two awful days, Thursday and Friday. And then you zoom out even more, year to date, yeah. we're down 22%, right? So it the idea, the genesis of the show was, man, the market's really depressed. We should, we should do an episode about that. And I, I remember joking with you that, watch, on Monday and Tuesday, the market will rally. <laughs> and it did. Um, so it, and, it, and But it it, did. I think that actually... Ladies and gentlemen, this is no longer the voice of the people, Jeff Santoro. This is yeah. successful. If only I had acted on that, uh, Jeff Santoro. Um, no, but I think it, it right. it's exactly, right. it makes it even more pertinent, I think, to talk about something like that because you really can be yeah. easily, it, it's easy to forget, right, what happened over the past week, month, six months, if the last couple days are really good or really bad. Um, but regardless, it's good to right. just kind of always take a step back and zoom out and look at historical context and all that stuff. And that I think that's that's going to be what we can kind of focus on today. But before we do that, um, let's do our real quick housekeeping for everyone. Um, we've been getting more feedback. We've been getting more questions. We really like that. It's helping us improve the show. It's helping us find things to talk about. So if you want to reach out to us, um, we're on Twitter at Smattering Show. You can email us at thesmatteringshow at gmail.com. We have a YouTube channel that you can find by just searching for The Smattering. Um, and we really appreciate rates, ratings, uh, reviews, sharing sharing the pod and the YouTube channel with your friends. Um, you know, We just want to reach as many people as we can. Um, so if you could do all those things for us, we'd really appreciate it. Um, so heading back to the market. Um, when, so let's, let's pretend the last two days didn't happen, Jason, right? And we're just, we're sitting at the end of last week looking at another, the, the end of a quarter, the end of a month. Um, and just another, you know, another low again, not, not necessarily the low of the year, but a low, where, where, where does your head go? Like, how do you, how do you sort of get yourself through that? And, and how do you advise people? I know sometimes I hear people say like, that's it, I'm out, I'm selling, or the market's rigged, all that stuff. You hear all those things when, when things are going badly. Yeah. Um, so what do you, what's your response to that? You know, I want to add a little more context too, because this is, this isn't just a bad year for stocks. You know, this is a brutal year for bonds. I haven't looked in the past couple weeks. 
like it, how much the trajectory has changed. Um, but as interest rates move higher, bond prices are pushed lower. The reason that is the case is when you own a bond, the math is really simple. The bond is worth the, the, the dollar value of the bond when it matures, that's what you get back, and the interest it will pay over the lifetime of the bond. If you own a bond that you need to sell now for cash, the market is going to value it based on the yield that it pays versus the yield that you can earn from new issues. So if you bought a bond five years ago, or let's say four years ago, right? It's a five-year bond, just to use a round number, right? And it doesn't mature for another year, and you want to sell it, you're going to have to compete with new issue bonds that are going to be yielding a much higher interest rate today from anybody that wants to buy it, right? So you're going to have to discount that bond below its face value. So that's why bond, that's why one of the reasons bonds, uh, bonds are down so much, right? Because interest rates are rising and that's pushing the value of current issue bonds down, right? Because they have to compete with those new issues. The, the, Cash is, we've seen the inflation issues, right? So cash is worth less, right? So for anybody, whether, whether you're investing new money, you're in the middle of your investing career, um, where you've owned a lot of assets for you know, any extended period of time, or you're getting close to retirement or some financial goal, or you're in retirement, right? It's really been a brutal year. So I want to put that context on it first, because I think it's important to, to be where people are, right? Where, whoever they are and what they're th- going through and what they're thinking about. And it, so I think I just kind of start there. Like yeah. I'm looking at my portfolio and where it is. And I try to be empathetic, really, because I think that helps me remember yeah, that I'm not alone on this It's brutal aisle. for every type of investor. Like I, I think about, you know, I've said several times on the pod that, you know, I'm new to individual stock investing, but I've been an investor for my entire adult life. And for me, prior to like a few years ago, it would be, I really didn't pay any attention to what was happening in my investments until I would get like the quarterly statement in the mail. But I remember having gone through like the great financial crisis, you know, here's my quarterly statement. Holy cow, that's a lot lower than it was. And then here's my next quarterly statement. Oh man, it's not any better, you know? And then eventually over time it recovered. Um, so I think like if you're, even if you're just like at that level of paying attention, you're, you're going to see it soon, right? Cause you're going to get the quarterly statement for Q3, um, all the way up to like people like us who, you know, are constantly looking in, at the, what the market's doing and things like that. So yeah, I agree with you. Like turning to the empathy piece is important because no matter what, how, how invest, uh, how, um, involved of an investor you are, you're going to feel this year for sure. I think when it, circling kind of back to the equities side of it, right, because we're a couple of stock jockeys here, and that's kind of where we live um, and what we spend most of our time investing time doing is like looking at companies and researching and trying to find great ideas, reevaluating the ideas that we've already invested in and deciding, do I want to continue to invest in this company? Is it time to buy more? Is is the thesis broken? You know, where's my conviction, right? That's, we spend a lot of time really thinking about these individual companies, um, and again, putting it within the, like the lens of where I am, um, and, and what I'm thinking about versus what the headlines are saying. And I think it's important to remember a couple things, right? You, you always, there's always, it seems like there's this mass culmination of, of, of bearish articles and headlines 
whether it's in the financial journals or it's in the, the, the mass media, right, the, the big outlets, seems like it culminates with the bottom, right? Um, and the, I think the reality is that that's not really very accurate um, because it, it's constantly, because here's the thing, with the media, the media suffers from recency bias, right? So when things are bad, they want to talk to, about, talk to people about why they're bad and why they could get worse, right? That's how we're wired. It's the same thing we see when the market is at a high, you know, whether it's the high, and in this case, January 4th, that's when the, we saw the peak, right? Um, you look at the six months before that, and the, it, all the talk was bullish. I mean, there's always going to be some bearish talk that pops up every now and then. But generally, because again, it's that recency bias. Things are good. The market's up. Guess what? Everybody wants to talk about why the market's up, why it can, could continue to be up. So it's easy to try to find like that signal in all the noise that either the music's going to stop or the worst is over, right? And for me, I think those are terrible exercises because they cause you to focus on something that's not material for you, right? Yeah, and I, I constantly remind and tell myself, like just thinking about like the news cycle, you know, n- no one knows, no one ever has known. And if you go find an article that ended up being right, it's luck, you know, or, or it's someone writes enough, the market's about right. to crash articles frequently enough that at some point they'll be right. Well, it's, it's, it's the story about the perma bears, Jeff, you know, you've got these notable people that they get it right one time. Right. And that, yep. and that's the horse that they're going to ride. And, th- and then the joke becomes so-and-so who's predicted 35 <laughs> yeah, of the last exactly. four market well, crashes. And, you know, right? but it, again, like if you just put so, your rational hat on, right. Are there people who in the world who are really good at predicting the market? Maybe, but there's obviously so few of them that you don't know who they are because you, it's just, a, if someone does really have that skill set, you don't like, if you're listening to this, you don't have that skill set, right? So, and if more people did, there'd be, and the people that have that skill set are wired to, to use it to their advantage, not go right. on CNBC. And if all those people really could it. do it, they'd be so rich, they wouldn't need to go on CNBC to talk about it. And it's, bi- and it's not binary. I think that's the biggest thing is it's just like with investing, right? We tend to look at the world black or white, right? We tend to be very binary about most things, right? There's good versus evil. There's politically, there's right versus left. There's, there's all of these, these things that we tend to do. And, and the reality yeah. is that most of life is, is on a spectrum, right? It's on the, the bell curve, right? And, and investing is the same way, right? It's, it's the idea that you really need to be thinking about this in terms of probabilities. And I think in terms of a framework for me, thinking about things in terms of probabilities has informed more about my style of investing. The fact that I own over a hundred stocks, the fact that I continue to focus for stock investing is thinking about those as very long-term investments, five plus years. Generally, it's very, very rare for me to ever invest in a stock where I'm really thinking about a near-term return. It's almost always five plus years Um, because the data is abundantly clear that the probabilities are far, far more favorable 
to that style of investing. And, and speaking of that, I think right. one of the things that's good to sort of ground yourself in when the market's you know having a rough year like it is now is you know you know there's the expression that like past you know what what has happened in the past doesn't guarantee it's going to happen in the future. I'm forgetting the exact phrase, but but basically if you do you know every every bear market has been followed by a bull market at some point, right? So like the market has historically always recovered. Um, and I, I know there's like actual historical data out there about that, but one of the things that popped into my head this week, and I wanted to, to get your thoughts on it too, was, you know, there's also that, um, data out there that, you know, if you miss the 10 best days in the market over the course of your career, it could like cut your portfolio in half, like some, some crazy statistic like that. And these, the last two days are right. a really good indication of that. Like, I, I would encourage anyone who's just curious, like, go back and look at where your portfolio closed on Friday, and then look at where it closed yesterday, and think of think if you had gone to cash or sold something and missed those two days, and those days are sprinkled all throughout your investing career, like all the the, the forty plus years of your working life when you're putting capital into the markets. Those plus two percent, plus three percent, plus four percent days. Are sprinkled throughout. You don't know when they're happening, but they're enormously important, and you don't want to miss them. Um, and that—that's another reason that, for me, I try to not worry so much about what's happening now and think about the long term because I don't want to miss those days. I want to stay invested and be invested and be be there when we have that random plus three, plus four, plus two percent day. The other part of it for me is is that the the pursuit of like that. I call it the precision fallacy, right? The, the the trying to buy at the bottom, right, and sell at the top, and miss the bad days, um, like all of those ideas, like the old, you know, selling was it selling May and go away idea, right, all those phrases, like all those yeah. things, like you don't want to own through the summer, like all of that stuff, right? Um, it's it's a fallacy, right? You know what? Like you said earlier, there are people that can figure out the macro trends, right? To within some level where they can use it to hedge or to make some bets where they're, again, they're being reasonable with the way they use that information. So probabilist, so the, the, they put the probabilities in their favor, but they don't bet the farm in a way that if they're wrong, it causes massive harm, right? Right. They're, so, they're directional. They're directionally correct versus exactly, precise. exactly. In in a way that's going to and, and that's and that's good and that's useful. But I think the other part of it that I want to stress is that there's there's how much you put into it versus what it can generate for you. And we probably have some professional investors that are listening to us. We have some people that are uh, advising people. Um, uh, or they're, they're analysts, or they, they do that kind of stuff. But my guess is that probably the majority of, of our listeners are, are um, enthusiastic amateurs, right? Or, or people like you, Jeff, that have a, have a real job out in the real world that pays, you know, the, 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 you dedicate the ma- majority of your waking hours to your work, right? right? And this is, you know, a side hustle or something you're passionate about that you enjoy. And I think mo- a lot of our viewers are probably the same way. How much well, it's time? Them, it's them and our and our parents. I mean, let's well, be honest. It's obviously, obviously, <laughs> hi dad, love you, dad. Thanks for listening, dad. Hey, mom. <laughs> there you go. So, um, but but no, I think I think the, my point is is how many hours are you going to pour into like trying to get it perfect for that three hundred dollars a month you're investing? What's your dollar per hour? 
I mean, bro, buy an index fund and go drive an Uber and you're going to get, you're going to end up with more money at the end, right? I think that's really important is, yes, the pursuit of, of, of knowledge is incredibly valuable and we love doing this and people that do it on the side because they love it, that's fantastic. But nothing wrong with taking a hard look at how much time you're looking, trying to chase the perfect thing that you could be putting into another way that can give you more, whether it's time back to do other things you enjoy or improve your investing success in other ways, right? Yeah. And I, I do think too, I mean, it's a little off topic, but I'll throw it in here quickly. Like if, if, if that desire to try to get it right and be precise is just an itch you need to scratch, I don't think it's inappropriate. Pick a small amount of money, kind of keep it separate in your mind within your portfolio and try, right? Whatever, pick 500 bucks, whatever the number is for you, hundred bucks, a thousand bucks, whatever, and try it. Just, just, but only use that money, buy, sell, whatever, and just see how well you do. Because funny, my, funny. my guess is you'll, you'll quickly learn that like, to your point, it's not worth the effort. It's not, you know, all that time and energy for a 1% chance of getting it right. Um, you know, and, and, and if you do that, do it over like a year. Don't just do it for like three weeks because you could get lucky and you'll think you're a genius. Um, Jeff, you know, who, you know who Jim Mueller is, right? Yeah. So Jim Mueller, uh, longtime analyst, um, and advisor at the Motley Fool, uh, for stock advisor for a very long time, um, manages at least one portfolio service. I've, I've known Jim, I would say probably 12 or 13 years. Um, so I'm going to tell a little bit of his, his story that I think is exactly to that point. So this is somebody, he's a scientist by trade, like his training, um, he's a scientist, um, began, joined the fool as a member, like so many other people there. Um, Decided to pursue full-time work there, went to work as an analyst, went through their analyst development, all that kind of stuff. This is, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago at this point. But he talked about exactly what you're talking about, like always having that itch of like wanting to, and I can't remember what it was, whether it was trading or something. There was one of those, frankly, strategies that just don't work for 99% of people. And he had to figure out if he was good at it or terrible at it. And he did that exact same thing. Like he took, I don't know if it was five or 10% of his portfolio, but a material amount, but wasn't so meaningful that it would be, or it was meaningful, but it wouldn't be material over like his entire life, right? And spent years pursuing that strategy with that money until he determined that it was not, right? To really find out, am I good or am I lucky, Right. Um, so even professionals deal with these same questions and have to scratch those edges. So I a hundred percent agree with you. So one of the things that, um, you know, we, we've talked about on previous episodes is like having frameworks and also having like tools in your toolbox for when things come up like a prolonged market, you know, uh, depression or a crash or a couple really bad days or weeks, um, so like, you know, one of the things I like to do is I just constantly buy and I, I just don't care about what's happening on that day. Um, right. and that's my way of sort of, 
you know, over the course of my investing life, hopefully, you know, I'll buy on some really high days and I'll buy on some really low days and I'll buy everywhere. I mean, you're, in you're investing like every week or two, right? Yeah. No, I, I generally every week. Um, and again, it, you know, it's, it's, it's my amount I'm, I'm comfortable spending. I just spread it out over every week. Cause like I've said before, it's just more fun. Like that's my itch to scratch. Like yep. I like buying stuff every week. Um, but what I don't do is I don't say to myself, oh, today's the day I normally buy, but the market's up. I'm going to wait till tomorrow. Um, I'd be lying if I said I never did that. But if, if I do, it's literally I punt a day or two. I don't like skip the week or anything. Um, right. but, but generally, I'm just not even paying attention to that. I'm just doing what I do. Um, and that's my way of sort of keeping myself focused on the long term. Um, do you have any specific like frameworks or yeah. um, tool, tools in your toolbox that like help you navigate, like stay a net buyer of stocks when you were in these prolonged like down, down spells? Yeah, and I've, I've talked about it before, but I think it's always worth bringing up again because, again, the idea of rules versus frameworks, right? So um, rules you f- either follow blindly or just ignore. Frameworks make you think about what you're doing. And for me, a framework I have is cash, right? I, I don't invest on a set schedule. Um, Jeff refers to me as binary J, which I think is hilarious because I tend to, I can move from being very focused on a thing to like I'll disappear, right? It's it's very and I'm kind of binary. It's um, my favorite. It's my favorite nickname for you, but also a great band name. I agree. So binary J. I'm trademarking it right here in this podcast. <laughs> so binary J and the Santoros. That's it, right there, right? That's <laughs> that's it. So, um, but no. So so my my framework is around cash um, because this kind of informs a lot of other things that I do. And that's, I, I like to have around 5% cash, like as a starting point, um, as a max, if I start getting to like eight, 9% cash, I start to get a little squirrely. Um, and, and I, and I, and I start, I start investing it because it cash is fine and really important. We talk about the toolbox if it's if it's something if it's something that I need if I need money in the next three years, that's cash, right? Or short term tre- treasuries or short term bonds that are going to mature, and I'm going to get that. I'm going to get cash, and it's predictable, and it's going to hold its value, right? Because here's the thing: bonds are down this year, but if I own the bond and I'm not selling it into the market, if I'm just going to redeem it at the end, my bond's not down, right? If I redeem it. I get my money back. It's only down if I'm selling it to another bond buyer and I have to discount it, right? So, so cash is a short-term thing that's a, a very, very valuable tool. As a long-term investor, it is the destroyer of wealth, right? Because it loses spending power against inflation. Even in normal inflation, we're talking loses 2 to 3% a year, right? And that's when in, in a healthy um, environment. So, so thinking about, again, I'm in my mid-40s, you know, my kid's you know, still, you know, more than a decade from college. Um, I don't want to buy boats, so I don't have to waste that money. But anyway, I, I don't have like near-term financial goals for money that I have in 401k or any of that stuff, right? So cash in there is optionality for the short term and a destroyer value over the long term, right? So that's why that 5% number is kind of like, that's where I want to live is somewhere around there. Because then, and if, if I start creep close to those double-digit amounts, it forces me to act. It forces me to be a buyer, right, and find opportunities and find value um, and deploy capital, right? So that's, that's the, the trigger for me. 
And then I do have some pretty close. These are pretty close to rules. Um, and this triggered in June, I think, is is my big rule, which is when the S and P falls twenty percent or more from a from a recent high. I'm going to deploy half the cash in my portfolio, right? Like within days, right? So I, I already have my watch list of stocks. I know generally where, like directionally, I know where I want to invest the companies, right? Because once we get a 20% sell-off, and they, they happen every few years, right? Every five to eight years on their schedule, not on, you know, these aren't, these aren't the trains in Germany here. They, they happen when they happen. Um, they're rare enough that they're an obvious opportunity to, to buy. And chances are there's something that's fallen a lot more than the market because that's just how it always happens, right? Great growth stocks, whatever the market's unfavorable for, it's probably fine over the long term. And I'll invest half that cash then. If we continue to see further downturns, I will deploy more and more of that cash. On Friday, we hit the 25% mark, Right? I have a lot of cash, Jeff, that I need to start deploying, even with a couple of bounce back days. And that's the thing. Like, that's why, again, it's a framework and not a rule, but like, I really push myself hard because it's so easy after a couple good days on Monday and Tuesday to say, well, you know what? That's a dead cat bounce. I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to sit back because I know I'm going to get a better price. And you'll anchor on this shit and it will destroy your returns, right? So that's, so that's my framework around how I keep myself investing. So one clarification, just for everyone listening, and I know we've said this before, when, when Jason or I, if either of us talk about cash, we're, ta- we're talking about cash that is 100% separate from emergency fund cash, right? Yeah. So both of right. us have money in whatever, savings accounts, CDs, whatever, that is not invested, it never will be invested, it is there for when the furnace breaks, or when you need to buy a new car, or when someone loses their job, it's it's complete. So the word cash in, in, in our vernacular here is entirely money that is dedicated to investing. That's just not right. Used to purchase an investment yet. It's a percentage um, of my, of my investable portfolio. So 401k right. taxable account rollovers, all, all that stuff. It's a percentage of that. Like Jeff said, is this is not, I don't think of this as real world money, right? It's future real world money. So I want to kind of talk a little bit more about your cash rule because I think it's related to how I, think about investing. So I I think I might get to a point where I build up some cash more than I do now. I'm generally completely invested right now. If we get to another like crazy bull market run up like we saw in 2020 and 2021. Like if I start looking around my watch list and my portfolio and don't see see things that are doing well for me obviously because the market's going up but maybe are becoming overvalued or more overvalued, or I don't see that I'm going to be able to buy them at like maybe a better valuation. Like I might, I might end up, I might start skipping some weeks in terms of like what I did buying and just leaving it in cash and then thinking about deploying it next time we see a downturn. So that's an interesting thing that you do that I've actually been thinking about. Do you ever sell during big downturns like this? Like, do you, do you use this as an opportunity to sort of like pull the weeds in your portfolio or is that not something you do necessarily in a down market? Yeah, admittedly. So I'm, I'm going to answer this in kind of a roundabout way because so the so, so yes, but um, I, I, I tend to do this a couple of times a year kind of regardless, right? Where, where I'm following my portfolio and what I tend to do, if, there, if there's companies that I tend to get really preoccupied with, 
right? And generally, it's like in an outsized way. Either it's a tiny little thing um, or it's done really well and it's become a larger part of my portfolio. I really kind of rationalize, do I own enough, right? Do I own too much? Should I even own this? And start making some, some decisions, right? And like one of the things that I did last year was my Visa and MasterCard, um, I made a decision to trim both of, of those stocks. Um, I still own them. I just sold off probably about half of each, give or take a little bit, because I saw some opportunities in some of these down, you know, more beaten down tech stocks that, that I think are going to generate better returns over the long term. And I see those as slower growth, lower growth. And it was just a way for me to kind of rebalance my... Um, that's what I'm looking for. Conviction, right? Rebalance into where my conviction was. Um, so sometimes I do that even with, with, with my winners, right? Um, but when it comes to like these downturns like this, I think it's a really, really good time to reevaluate why you own something, right? In our, in our why, um, how we invest series, we talked a little bit about this already, about the, the, what, when do you sell, why do you sell, um, I'll, and I'll revisit it just briefly, is like with what we're going through right now, there's a lot of buying opportunities. Um, we've got a mailbag coming out soon, folks. So, and we're going to talk about this a little bit too. There, there are definitely some, some segments that the market is very bearish on right now. And I think it's a good time to be contrarian. And I think one of the ways if you, for, for maybe, maybe you're, you don't have a bunch of capital to add to your portfolio right now, or, or you're like Jeff, where you stay fully invested um, now is a really good time to ask some hard questions about stocks that have not performed well. Is it time to buy more of them? Is it time to move on? Right. And if you have 10 stocks that are all down 70% or 50% or whatever the number is, and you look at that list of 10 stocks and two jump off the page at you and you're like, I need to own a lot more of these. And then you look at that other eight and there's one that's like, why do I own that piece of shit? I need to sell it. And then the others are some, somewhere on that spectrum in between. It may be time to, to cut your losses where you have less conviction and reinvest in those other losers that you think are going to be long-term winners. I think now is a reasonable time to do that. I have some yeah. no conviction, broken thesis stocks in my portfolio. I'm going to be doing that with. Yeah, and, and to be clear, like broke, conviction is not... The, the stock, stock is down, down and I'm selling because the stock is down. It's this, right. I no so, longer believe this Peloton, for example. I, I have zero conviction in Peloton. I have struggled with Roku, and I have only held because a lot of very smart people out there tell me Roku is worth Jeff Santoro and other people, um, worth continuing to own. Um, I don't have that same conviction. So that is one that, you know what? I think Pubmatic's a pretty good business, and Trade Desk is incredible. Maybe it's time to, even if Roku's a big winner, I think these others are going to do well too, right? So yeah. now's a good time to be thinking about that. I think it's one way to think of it is the stock price might be the reason you look at it. Yep. But the decision needs to be made needs to be made based on what the business is doing and your conviction and its ability to continue to do well, not based not not because of the, the share price, right? That's, those are two kind of different ways of thinking about it. Yeah. Can I, can I, I think we're getting close to the end here, but I want to get the last word on something from the toolbox. 
that I think is really Always important. trying to get the last word. Always getting the last word. You notice <laughs> I left the word I will out. let you have the last word. Go, go ahead, Jason. Thank you, Jeff. You're such a giver. But no, I think this is important to stress is because there are a lot of people. We, we, talk, we, have, a, we have a friend who listens to this podcast um, who has seen their portfolio fall significantly, right? And is already in semi-retirement living outside of that, you know, living partly out of that portfolio. Um, and they're, they're fine with, with, with where things are because they're investing for a longer term horizon with, with that portfolio. But there are probably people listening to this, Jeff, or they know people, maybe that people that don't listen to this podcast, but they know people that are in a situation where their stock portfolio is down substantially. They are at the point where they're living off of their investments and they don't have the margin of safety. And if you are one of those people or you know one of those people, don't continue to risk money that you can't afford to lose trying to get money that you don't need, right? And it may be time simply to sell some losers to make sure you're not having to eat cans of cat food over the next two or three years. I know that's kind of a ugly way to put it. But the point is, use the right tools, right? Have a cash, a margin of safety in the real world. If it's time to buy some bonds to protect your quality of life over the next three to five years, do that, right? And, and, and then have your stocks for the long term. Don't get so caught up in trying to anchor on where the price is today and where you think it's going to go that you're ignoring when you're going to need to turn that stock into money. And that that leads nicely into our disclaimer because if you're in the if you're at the point where that is your situation and you're in retirement near retirement worried about all this, that's a good time to talk to an actual financial advisor and not two guys with a podcast, Bingo. Um, to make sure that you're actually doing what you need to do to, to protect that money you're going to need to live on for you know the rest of your life. Right. Find a certified financial planner. Pay them a few hundred bucks for a one time fee to look at your situation and then give you actionable advice that you can trust. I agree. Thanks for listening, everybody. We ask those important questions and we give our answers. Like Jeff said, you got to come up with the answers for yourself. You can do it. We believe in you. Jeff, this was fun. Yeah, man. See you next time. See you next time.